0: So we are sort of a people in, in between. We're, we're in between two appearances of Jesus, right? We celebrate his birth 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem in a faraway land. And we look forward to him coming again and making all things new, bringing the absolute rule and reign of the kingdom of God to all who have put their trust in him. But right now we're in the middle. And sometimes in the middle, it's hard to figure out um, what we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) What what does it mean to wait for the return of Jesus? Is that a passive waiting? Is it an active waiting? What, What does the gift of the first advent of Jesus mean for us while we wait for the second? So this is a question I, I, I think I want us to answer today. This is kind of part two of our Christmas Eve uh, talk last night where we did some opening of presents. If you were here, I hope you enjoyed opening presents together. That was fun. But there's, a, there's an element of, of the gift that God gave us through Jesus that requires a little bit of effort on our part. So I think we kind of initially pushed back against that like our we, it shouldn't take any work from us to receive what God gives, but, but think about gift giving. When, you, when someone gives you a present wrapped up like this with a nice little bow, do you think, how dare they wrap this up? So I have to do the work of opening this gift. I mean, if it's a gift, they, they should have just given it to me without any effort required on my part, correct? Correct. No, does anyone ever respond that way? No, o- opening the gift sometimes is the most fun part. In fact, I had the wonderful privilege of seeing uh, Lila June Pollock yesterday, two days ago, uh, as the Pollocks stopped through on their way to Chicago. And they were telling me Lila, who's not even one, her, f- her favorite part is just opening presents. She has n- no concern about what's inside. She just likes to unwrap things uh, and make a mess. And that'll last for a couple years probably. But that's, that's part of it, isn't it? The, the opening is, is part of it. Now, I'm not a big fan of uh, people who make you do extra work to open a gift. Like my son uh, gave his brother a gift, and he drew a maze on the front of it, and his brother had to complete the maze before he could open the gift. I don't know why we do this. This is, this is a little extra step, you know, but um, that's how they, they like to do things. But I think the idea that we have to put forth a little effort to get to the gift that's inside doesn't take any value from the gift, does it? It makes it more of a participation, right? Now it's not just a one-way thing. I'm not just putting something in your hand. I'm giving you a chance to participate by unwrapping the gift. Sometimes the thought that's put into wrapping a gift demonstrates a great deal of value. Do you guys have anybody in your family who kind of goes overboard on the, on the gift wrapping? Like they just, they do these handmade things or they, you know, they draw all over, they make it beautiful and they kind of, and you're like, I don't even want to tear this paper. It's too beautiful. It's too pretty. I don't want to, you know, let's just leave it like it is. I, I think that communicates value in, in some ways. So the gift that we're going to talk about today, the element of the miracle of Jesus that we're going to talk about today is kind of like this. It's an incredible gift but it's a participation gift. There, there's, there's a part for us to play in receiving and opening this gift. And it's something that we learn how to do better and better as we grow and mature in our faith in Jesus. So uh, we're gonna talk about that today. Um, we're gonna start just by reading through uh, several scriptures in Luke and Acts. And so let me just um, remind you, Luke and Acts are written by the same author, Luke, and written as kind of part one and part two. So part one, Luke has written to describe the life and ministry of Jesus up through his death and resurrection. And then part two, which we call the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, tells the story of what happens after the resurrection of Jesus when he gives the disciples this mission to go and take the gospel uh, throughout Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I want us to think about these as, as part one and two from a, a single author who has a very specific theme in mind. So when we begin in Luke's gospel, uh, with the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, uh, I'm going to read some uh, expert experts, excerpts, excerpts, that's correct. I'm going to expertly read some excerpts, and you're going to read anything that's underlined on the screen expertly as well. This is from Luke 1. Uh, so this, let me set the scene here. So there's this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're, they're getting along in years. They've never had a child. They really want one. And uh, Zechariah is a priest who serves at the temple. And on the day that he's serving, uh, an angel shows up to Zechariah. So here's what the angel says. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. The Holy Spirit shows up in the life of John the Baptist before he's even born for a very specific purpose because he's gonna be one who will bring back many of the people of Israel. John is gonna grow up and begin to preach a message of repentance, that it's time to turn around, Israel. we've, We've gotten distracted, we've gotten preoccupied, we've been focusing on the wrong things, it's time to get back. To worshiping and serving God the way we we're meant to. And the Holy Spirit shows up to make sure that that happens. Uh, a few verses later, this angel is speaking to Mary and giving her this incredible little overwhelming news that she is going to give birth to God's son. She has some questions about that, as you might imagine. And here's the angel's answer The angel answered, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The answer to Mary's questions about how it's possible for her, an unmarried young woman, to give birth to the Son of God is the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. How how can this be? This This is beyond human understanding. Yes, the Holy Spirit will come upon you for a very specific purpose, to bring about the birth of the Son of God. A few verses later, these two ladies meet. So Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary, who's gonna give birth to Jesus, they're cousins, and they they get together. And here's what happens when they get together in verses 41 and 42. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and... In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. So the Holy Spirit shows up now in Elizabeth. And what happens? Elizabeth testifies to the truth that Mary is gonna give birth to the Messiah. Now, how does she know this? The answer? The Holy Spirit. Are you starting to pick up on a theme? Yeah, it gets gets better and wilder. Okay, so... Then uh, John the Baptist is finally born. And at the, in the, this whole time while, while Elizabeth's been pregnant, uh, his father, Zechariah, has been unable to speak because uh, he had some, expressed some doubts to the angel and the angel didn't care for that. And so John uh, or Zechariah was unable to speak. But then when uh, the baby is born and uh, Zechariah insists through writing that his name will be John, here's, here's what we see in verse 67. His father... Yeah, so John is born, the Holy Spirit shows up, and what does Zechariah do? He begins to speak on behalf of God. He begins to say things that God wants people to hear. How is he able to do this? The answer, the Holy Spirit, right? Later, after Jesus is born, and you have the whole, the angels show up to the shepherds and... They go and visit the baby Jesus at the manger. And then when it's time for Jesus to go to the temple to be circumcised, um, there, there's a person there who's been waiting for the Messiah. And we're gonna read about him. His name is Simeon. This is from Luke two twenty-five to 27. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It had been revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He went into the temple courts. Now, if you're, just look, if you're just looking for the Holy Spirit to show up, is Luke trying to hide this? No, Luke is making it really obvious what is going on. Like, what is hap- who is in charge of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit? And when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's for a specific purpose, Simeon has been waiting for the Messiah. How is he going to know when the Messiah arrives? The answer? The Holy Spirit is going to show up and tell him. And he's going to tell him exactly when to go to the temple so that he won't miss it. And he doesn't miss it. And the thing that he's been waiting for his whole life, he finally gets to experience. Luke goes on to mention the Holy Spirit 15 more times through the gospel of Luke, the story about the life and teaching of Jesus. And it's really clear, if you watch for the Holy Spirit to show up, that he does often, and it's for a specific purpose, okay? Now, let's move on to the book of Acts. Acts, again, is the story of what happens after the resurrection of Jesus when he sends the disciples out to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of of the earth. So on on the, the day that they're supposed to get this whole thing started, right, Uh, is is the day of Pentecost. Let's read about the day of Pentecost from Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So again, they're getting ready. There's a whole crowd gathered here. The day of Pentecost is a big celebration day. So there are a lot of Jews from all over the, the Greek and Roman world have gathered in Jerusalem, and the disciples are there, and they're, 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 they're about to tell everybody about Jesus. And how are they going to possibly communicate to people from all over the world of a bunch of different languages all gathered in one place and, and communicate one unified message? How are they going to do that? The answer is the Holy Spirit shows up so that they're able to testify to who Jesus is and what he's done. So then Peter, we, we get the record of Peter's sermon. And the idea is that they're all speaking, they're all speaking of the gospel, but Peter is the one uh, whose sermon gets recorded. And Peter is gonna quote from an Old Testament prophet named Joel. And here's the, here's the quotation that Peter chooses to use in this moment. In the last days, God says, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. And they will prophesy. This is the moment when Peter chooses to use this particular quotation from the prophet Joel. And what does he want the people to know? The Holy Spirit has shown up for a specific purpose so that the sons and daughters will prophesy, will speak on behalf of God, will speak the words of God to anyone who will listen. How are they able to do this? How are they able to know what to say? How are they able to communicate the truth of the gospel for those who may even have never met Jesus? How can they do this? The answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up as evidence of the presence of God through the person of Jesus. Okay, at the end of the sermon, the people figure out, the people who are listening figure out we, we have messed up. The Messiah came, we didn't recognize him. In fact, some of us screamed for his death. We have got to make this right. What can we possibly do? So they asked Peter, how are we supposed to respond to this? The, the gospel demands a response from me. What is it? What am I supposed to do? So they ask him, and here's Peter's reply, Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, if you're Theophilus, the guy that Luke wrote all of this to, he wrote the gospel of Luke to this guy named Theophilus and then part two, the book of Acts, and you get to this point, my guess is he set the scroll down at that moment and had a little time to think to himself because think about what he knows about the Holy Spirit so far. The Holy Spirit shows up at certain times for certain people for a specific purpose. And it's always to to prepare the way or to show people the truth about Jesus, to provide evidence for the truth that God is present, God is here, his kingdom has come. And now Peter tells this crowd of people that that Holy Spirit that has been at work, like in the, the, everything surrounding the birth of Jesus all through his life and ministry, showing up on the day of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. That's an incredible statement. I mean, the way that Luke has built this up and gets to this point, I mean, the reader who's reading this for the first time and been tracking along with this theme and paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing has got to be going, now, hold on a second. You're telling me that, that God, in the, through the Holy Spirit, it wants to live inside me? Like, not just fill me up every now and then so that I can prophesy when the moment is right, but he actually wants to come in, move into my heart and live with me, in me? That is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It was when Luke wrote it, and it is today. And this is a part of the gift of Jesus that I I think requires some participation on our part. How many days go by in your life as someone who is a follower of Jesus where you fail to acknowledge the holy spirit alive in you this incredible gift that shows up for a specific purpose so that human beings with our such our limited view our finite perspective of reality are able to testify to the infinite god how is that possible How are we supposed to be able to fulfill this mission? What's the answer? The Holy Spirit, always. That's the Sunday school answer today. Any question that I ask, the answer is the Holy Spirit, right? Who's going to lunch with you today? The Holy Spirit, (laughs) yeah, okay. That made it a little weird. But this is what I want us to understand, is that there is some participation required in opening this gift. God has given us this gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's wrapped up. And how do we know it's wrapped up? Because we sometimes don't know how to access the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. There are times when we actually even forget that he's here. So there's some participation required on our part. And one of the one of the primary tasks of the Jesus follower is to learn how to listen to and obey the Holy Spirit. That is one of our primary jobs is to learn how to listen to and obey the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if, if that's news to you, then that's, that's my fault. I haven't been teaching that clearly enough. If, if you thought the primary job of the Christian is to go to church, and to specifically go to a church that you like, you know, where they sing the things that you like, and they preach the things that you like, and, they, and the people that look like you are there, like, if you thought that was the primary job, then we have failed completely. That's, that's not, not the primary job of the Christian if you thought the primary job was just to try to be a nice person, like just to just to try to you know keep your head down, don't do anything that could stir things up, just be nice, you know. When she says, "How do I look in this dress?" You, great, you look great. Like that, just be a nice person. If you thought that was the primary job of the Jesus follower, and we failed. If you thought the primary job was uh, just to to memorize some key passages, like John three sixteen, got that one. Um, maybe that's it, but I got that one. Like it's down, it's in there. I, I just need to get some Bible memorization in me. If you thought that was the primary job, we failed. The primary job of the Christian is to live a life that is so convincing to other people that Jesus is real, that they have to ask questions about who this Jesus is that we follow. And the only way it's possible for a human being to live that way is the Holy Spirit. So if we don't learn how to open this gift to listen to and obey the Holy Spirit, we cannot succeed at our primary job. We can't do it on our own. No individual can do it on their own and no church family can do it on their own. And that is so clear through the book of Acts. So After this point where I I got us to in in Acts 2, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts 55 more times in the next 26 chapters. Who's the main character of Acts? The Holy Spirit. Who does all the work to get the gospel from Jerusalem to, to the Greek and Roman world? The Holy Spirit. Who is supposed to be the one who guides our lives? to reflect the nature and character of Christ to the world around us, Holy Spirit. And some of us just don't even know how to recognize his voice. And we don't know where to get the courage to obey when we do. This has got to be our primary job. So uh, what I would like to challenge you to do Is to embrace this role, and I'll share one more passage. This is uh, one I I shared last night as well, because I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we're not alone in doing this. That if we're not good at it, it's not just your fault; it's our fault. And if we get good at it, it's not just because of you; it's because of us. Okay? Here's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He's trying to help them understand their identity as a church. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that? We don't have to plead with God for a gift. He has already given it. But it requires some participation on our part to open it. We've got to learn some things. We've got to practice. This is not something that happens overnight. So what, what I want to ask you is, do, do, you, do you see the Holy Spirit working in your life? Are there, do you have moments when you, when you think, I think maybe that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me? I had this moment happen to me um, earlier in the year when I had just been praying about how to connect better with, with different kinds of people, the, the kinds of people who don't actually typically attend our particular church. A lot of people in our community that um, just don't come to this church or maybe any church. And i would just been praying about that. And I... Um, I just had this idea one day that I needed to go into the gas station and talk to somebody there. And I'll be super honest with you. I, my first thought was not, this is the Holy Spirit talking to me. I just thought, well, I'm, I'm looking for ideas. Here's an idea. I'll try it. So I went into the gas station, which I hardly ever do because you pay at the pump, right? And unless you need cigarettes or a lottery ticket, I mean, what, what else is in there? I'm, I'm good, right? So... I hardly ever go in, but I went in and I'm, I'm like, what do I do now? Cause it's weird that I'm in here. I should buy something. So I think I bought a Dr. Pepper and some Hostess donuts or something. And I went to the checkout and I um, just asked the lady who was there, I was like, how are, you, how are you doing today? And she said, not very good. She said, I think I, think I have a, a doctor's appointment. I think they're going to tell me I have stomach cancer. And I've got two small kids and um, I don't know what's gonna happen to them. And so um, I just asked, can I, can I pray with you? And so, so I, I prayed with her. Um, and then now I have a reason to go back, right? So I started going in and buying like junk food and just going and, and talking to her and um, found out she, her diagnosis actually came back clean. She, she did not have cancer. Um, which she praised God for. Uh, she ended up telling uh, her story to somebody else who actually has ended up uh, attending this church here. Um, and her son was baptized this past summer. And so all of this has happened. And now I look back on that moment when I had this idea of, I'm, I think I should go into the gas station. And I go, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's usually how it works. You, something comes into your mind that you, you think maybe you should do. And, and you just have just 15 seconds of courage, you do it, and then maybe months later, you look back and you get the confirmation, oh, that, that was the Holy Spirit. I think that's kind of how it works a lot of times. We don't have the confirmation up front. If we did, we wouldn't really need faith, would we? But we have this opportunity to step out, to, to act with some courage, to take this idea that we are supposed to be salt and light seriously, and sometimes we'll do it and it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was just, you know, I ate something weird for breakfast and, you know, I had strange ideas, you know? And we go, well, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. And we learn from that. And then sometimes we do it and it was the Holy Spirit and we get to celebrate. and We go, thank you, God, for letting me be a part of that. That's kind of the process. But the goal is to learn and grow. The goal is to learn to listen to and obey the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be the people that God created us to be, be the church that God made us to be, and see the kingdom come the way that Jesus commanded us to pray for the kingdom to come. So that's, that's, that's our celebration today. God has given this, incre- this incredible gift. The Holy Spirit's not in here, he's in you. But imagine, like God has given us this incredible gift and what a shame it would be if we just set it down on the coffee table and said, I don't really know how to open that. So I'm glad I have it. We're not gonna do that, right? Let's participate with God. Let's learn. Let's do the work. Let's have the courage. Let's talk to other people about their experiences with the Holy Spirit. And let's, let's, let's open this gift every single day and let him lead us into being the people that we are made to be. Deal? Okay, great. I'm so glad you guys are here and I'm glad we get to celebrate. If you'll stand, we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Feel free to hang around. It's a little early, so feel free to hang around and chat with people more, vacuum the floors, whatever, whatever comes to mind, what you need to do. But um, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas celebration and have some opportunity to tell God thank you for the gifts that he's given you. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the time together today, uh, just for being so thoughtful in the way that you give, for inviting us to participate with you, in the work that you're doing in us and in the people around us. Our prayer, God, is that we would just be faithful, we would be persistent, we would put in the work, and we would get to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in us and in our church family. We celebrate Jesus today and this incredible gift that's made possible because of him. In his name we pray, amen. Amen.